Well, Psalm 4, Psalm with Psalm 3, a song about sleep. Sleep. How did you sleep last night? You students, I know uh, a lot of students and teachers are getting ready to start school this week. Are you a little anxious about that? You having trouble sleeping? Or are you trying to get all of the binge watching you can before school starts and maybe that's why you're not sleeping? But how, did, how did you sleep? If, if this group, if this congregation is, is a good representative sampling of the wider American culture, then many of you, many of us did not sleep well last night. Statistically, 40% of Americans have difficulty sleeping, regular difficulty sleeping at night. 10 to 15% have what's considered chronic or severe insomnia. And so that's, that's a good chunk out of a room this size of people who regularly don't sleep well. There are lots of possible reasons for sleeplessness, whether it's the kind of mild sleeplessness, just have trouble going to sleep, or whether it's really severe insomnia. Uh, age is a factor, uh, though it does affect young and old. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm already beginning to see that. I, I was just thinking, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. I remember when I was in my 20s, I could, I could use that button on my alarm clock called a snooze button. And it actually was helpful. I, could, I would plan for it to hit the two or three times. And, you know, it's like a nine-minute snooze. And I could get eight more minutes of sleep between. I mean, I could fall right back asleep. I mean, those, it takes me like two hours to fall back to sleep now if I wake up. So those days are gone. So I'm, I, I, I get that. But there are, sometimes there are medical or physiological issues that, that prevent you from sleeping. Uh, sometimes it's poor sleep habits. That may be inconsistent bedtime. Now, for some of you, you have rotating shifts. It's not really an option. Uh, but, but others, you know, maybe you're just not disciplined to go to bed at the same time. And that affects your sleep. Or poor diet or caffeine. You know, you drink the 32-ounce frappuccino, you know, at 10 o'clock at night or something. And wonder why you can't sleep. I, I have no idea. Uh, obviously, now with technology, these screens, you know, I'm looking at one now, but uh, they, you know, the, all the research is showing if you're looking at those screens late at night, TVs, phones, and checking social media, that that's, going, that's affecting our sleep in, in an incredible way. All right, this is not a lecture on sleep habits or anything. But, but in reading about sleep problems this past week and preparing for this message, the, the most common recommendation for insomnia, right after seeing a medical doctor, I, actually the most common nowadays is put away your smartphone at night. That's the, that's the first thing everybody says. You make sure you're not sleeping with your phone. But right after that, it's, it's seeing a medical doctor, and then it's to see a psychiatrist. Um, why is that so? Why is that the recommendation? Because so many causes of sleep problems are not physiological, but they are psychological. Um, it's, it's things like worry and anger and discouragement and depression. Those are the things that are robbing us from sleep in our culture. One of the more common treatments that psychiatrists recommend is medication. And so it's things, anti-anxiety meds, antidepressants, uh, sedatives. These are all um, prescribed in, in great quantities today. Sleep aids are it's one of the fastest growing segments in pharmaceuticals. There are hundreds of sleep aid drugs out there on the right now. I asked our resident drug dealer, pharmacist, excuse me, uh, Lance, uh, yesterday about this, and he confirmed just how common and routine these prescriptions are. He's filling these all the time. 
and, and even over-the-counter, things like Tylenol PM. And I noticed there's a new thing called Zequil. And it's like NyQuil without the cold symptoms or something. It's just helping people sleep as people are having such issues. Well, I am not a doctor. And I don't play one on TV. And so I'm, this is, I, I, am not, I can't write prescriptions. I am not going to tell anyone they should or should not be using sleep aid medications or anything like that. This isn't, this isn't a sermon anti-this or anti-that. Um, this is what I want to speak about. This is a pro-trust-in-God sermon. Uh, regardless of medications and all of those other issues and other potential causes of sleeplessness. The best, listen, the best medicine for a sleepless man or woman is the assurance of a tireless God. And that's what Psalm 4 talks about. It's if, if most sleep problems are caused by anxiety or discouragement, then David had reason to lose sleep. We saw this, if you weren't with us last week, I'll recap quickly, but the context of Psalm 4, almost all uh, Old Testament scholars agree, is, is the same as, as Psalm 3, that these psalms go together. And so uh, Psalm 3 is a morning song, Psalm 4 is an evening song, but it's the same context. It's given in the inscription of Psalm 3. And so we're talking about one of the saddest episodes in Scripture, really. It's the story of David and his son Absalom. So David was the anointed king of Israel. His son Absalom turned against him, tried, began to conspire to oust his father, to take over, to take the throne away from him, occupy his throne. And right away, you have, you say, this can't turn out well. And it doesn't. Um, scripture says that the hearts of the people in Israel, they turned toward Absalom. We talked about this last week. And, and remember, this is not a constitutional democracy. This is a divine monarchy. And so, uh, the, 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 unless the king willingly gives up his throne, the only way that anybody can take it is if that king dies. And so, they, just think about the crushing grief of this father, of David as a father, whose son not only wants to take his throne, but wants to take his life. Scheming to do so. And so this think of how heartbreaking this is. As he considers his son. And then to have the people that he's led uh, be so fickle and so, so disloyal. People that he served, now they're turning away and conspiring against him. And so with Psalm 3, Psalm 4 was likely written when David is, is, fled his throne, is, is fled Jerusalem, uh, left his throne, fled Jerusalem in fear of his life, hiding out in this cave with this little loyal band of followers. And he's penning these words. Again, the story, it can have a happy ending. It, and it doesn't. The report comes to David that Absalom has been killed. We saw this, uh, we talked about this last time. And David, he doesn't celebrate. He's like, oh good, now I can go back to the palace. And No, this is his son. This is his son. He's a dad. This is his son. And he crumbles in grief. You hear his fatherly cries, Absalom, my son, my son. Oh, that I would have died for thee. My son, my son. And so Psalm 4 is this, it's this window into the soul of a man who's in the middle of this, this deep kind of agony. In the, in the midst of this unthinkable, deep, dark anguish. A living nightmare. And so as such, it's this textbook on, on how we're to respond in troubles that come in our lives. It's meant for us. It's meant for God's people. 
to, to, to own these words and to, and to confess these things in the midst of our anguish. Trouble that leads to anxiety and despair and anguish. And we, we deal with that. Trouble that keeps you up at night. Restlessly tossing and turning and your mind just racing. This is a psalm for us when, when we're there. And so Psalm 4, again, it's, an, it's considered, we call it an evening psalm. It's a song to go to bed on. This is a song to be playing in our minds and in our hearts. And so verse 8, again, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So a good night sleep, a good night's sleep, that's what we're after. But it's not sleep for sleep's sake, it's sleep for our soul's sake. Sleep is a, it's a symptom of a heart at rest in God. And therefore, sleeplessness can be, not always, again, I acknowledge there are physiological age, all these other factors that play into this, but sleeplessness can be a symptom of a heart that's not resting in God. And we need to see that today. So, how can you sleep, when using, borrowing the wording from last week again, how can you sleep peacefully when you're living a nightmare? How can we do that? Well, we're going to see the first Point, it will, I think there are six statements that we'll make through here. But look at verse, look at the inscription. Again, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Now, what do those words tell us? Again, these are part of the inspired writings of Scripture. This isn't just something that the ESV editors or, or uh, contemporary editors. This is part of the, the text. And so what does that tell us? Well, obviously, it tells us who wrote it. David wrote these words. It's a psalm of David also tells us there's a choir master. They have a Patrick work. And, uh, and so they, they, this, is, this is to that. It's written to that person. And then third, there's to be musical accompaniment. Uh, string instruments. Whatever their version of a piano and guitar and maybe even bass guitar. I'm not sure, Mike, uh, but we'll just say yes. Um, and so they have, they, have this, they have this musical accompaniment. So what's the scene? It's the assembly. It's the corporate gathering of God's people. It's, it's corporate worship. In, in this context, the tabernacle or the temple. This is when, where God's people gathered and, and there's this communal corporate gathering and singing together of these words. I'm thinking you probably don't typically imply, em, employ a choral director and a string quartet when you do your morning devotions. Is that correct? If anybody does... I would like to know that. That's just interesting to me. But none of us do that. And, and, and so while this, while this is another, it's in the same category that we looked at last week. We call it an individual lament psalm. That's how we categorize this psalm and, and the different categories of psalms that we find in the book of Psalms. But it, it's not just to be used or to be sung individually. It's not at all. This psalm is not just for you alone in your prayer closet sitting in a puddle of tears. I mean... It is fine to be helped by, that, by this psalm there when you're alone. Please use it, sing it, and own these words when you're alone. But primarily, this is a song for the worshiping assembly. That's what this inscription tells us. It's, it's for us together with some of us, yes, sitting in a puddle of tears together. 
As there's wet chairs and, and tissues being passed around because there's weeping, there's lament, there's sorrow, there's real trouble. And yet we're coming together and we're singing these words. That's what this inscription is telling us. Songs of lament, they have value for God's people. Individually, yes, but, but also and primarily in the corporate gathering. And so what's, just think about this. What is the, one of the first decisions Christians, yes, Christians make? When trouble comes crashing in on them. What's the, one of the first things I have? I see this over and over again. And I know the temptations of my own heart. I just don't have a choice. But people think, I'm going to stay home from church this week. That's one of the first instincts. I need a Sunday off. I just can't bring myself to go. I can't be around people today. I, I need some space. I need to be alone. I need some me time. We, we, we think like that. And I, I hear that reasoning. But what do you really need when your soul is in agony? The word, prayer, fellowship of God's people, worship, the Lord's table, testimonies of brothers and sisters of God's sufficient grace. You need need all those things that come to us as part of the Lord's Day gathering. This 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 is what we need in our agony. Listen, I know we are human, and we need time to rest. And so I'm not, it's not an insult. Please don't interpret that statement this way. I, I understand that having some quiet time to think, and some of us more than others need some time to be alone and to pray, but, but, but that's not to the exclusion or in place of the corporate gathering. This is first. This is primary. This is the main means that God has given us for our help and our comfort and he also is gracious to meet us alone. But this is, this is it. How do, so how, do you, how can you sleep peacefully when you're living the nightmare? First point, I don't have any slides, I'm sorry. First point is this, go to church. I'm not bringing this forward into our day, but go to church. It's just from the inscription. The, the assembly is just what the divine doctor ordered uh, when we're suffering. We sing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This last song we sang, I, I was fighting back tears because I, I, it was this memory. We were singing that word cornerstone uh, of cornerstone. Um, what's, uh, I, my mind's gone blank now. The line, there's a line in that chorus, the, the more contemporary chorus that's added into that song. I can remember three years ago when my own soul was in, in despair. We were reeling as a church. I, I would just be up here being trying to gather myself to preach and I, I can remember you guys singing that song over my shoulder and the Lord using that for my own good and I am grateful for that ministry but this is one of the ministries we have this is why Paul treats us to sing to one another psalms, hymns, spiritual songs yes making melody to our hearts to God but we're also we're singing horizontally across the aisle to one another when we gather together. We're, when, when, when you don't have the words and you can't get your voice to say what those words are saying, others are singing it over you and to you. And this is a great ministry of God's people. We also, when we're together, we realize we're not alone. We look around and we see, I'm not alone suffering. I'm not alone in my troubles. Others are suffering and, 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 and they're, they're enduring by God's grace. And, and, and they're trusting God and, and even doing so joyfully. I know what they're walking through. I know the agony that they're in. We're reminded of the power of the gospel. 
when we come together, through the preaching of the Word, through, through testimonies, through the Lord's table as we eat and drink and remember Christ together. We use our gifts to serve the body. And so you come and you say, I've got to teach Sunday school today. I've got I to serve in the nursery. I'm, I am famished. But it's a, it's a way, that, it's a gracious means that God has given us to fight maybe that temptation to self-pity and say, no, I need to love others. And so... We, we, often, we often talk about how important a good night's sleep is in preparation for Sunday worship. So we say things like, you know, Sunday morning begins on Saturday night. My kids, you know, they're all, I'm, they're all, I'm sure they're sick of me reminding them to go to bed early and get ready for bed on Saturday nights. And I don't say that quite like that. But, but we could equally true, I mean, that's good, that's good advice, good counsel. But equally true, we could say that Sunday night begins on Sunday morning. That, that, uh, that, that for that matter, Tuesday night, Friday night, it begins on Sunday morning. That, that, that one of the things that will help you have a good night's sleep throughout the week is a good Lord's Day morning worship. It's being here, being with God's people. So go to church. You know, one other thing before we move to the second. It's, just, it's a good reminder that lament songs, they need to be part of our diet as a church, part of our corporate worship. They need a seat at the table and all of our other songs that we sing. And, and, and so we've we got to re- resist the pressure to kind of artificially sweeten Christianity. And I know that's the, kind of the common thing today, but we, we should be joyful people, yes. And we come and we celebrate and we revel in the grace of God and that's to be part of our worship week in and week out. But it's not just because everything is awesome in life. But we, instead, we, we, we should be joyful because in spa, spite of the fact that everything isn't always awesome, our God is awesome, and He is good, and He, and, and he is gracious. And so we, we sing, and we, and we lament, and we thank God for His grace. Alright, so that's the first thing. Verse 1, then. David says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So in verse 1, we see that in the midst of this disaster, in the midst of this anguish, this, of, of, the, of the unthinkable, of this nightmare, David is not, he's not running from God, he's running to God. Now I realize that God doesn't move. But, I, but the, the experience, he's not trying to draw away. David, now David is God's anointed king. David uh, has God's honor attached to his throne. And so God has put him there. So it would be easy for David to think, you know what? Here I am fleeing. I'm sleeping in this cave. I've left the throne. What happened? God let me down. God let me down. And so I have to go elsewhere for help now. But that's not what we find. He doesn't turn away. He, He turns to God in prayer. So that's the second thing. How can we sleep peacefully when we're living a nightmare? First, go to church. Second, I say it this way, wear your running clothes to bed. Wear your running clothes to bed. You need some pajamas, wear your running clothes. Don't go to bed stewing. Don't go to bed simmering in anger. Don't go to bed scheming about all the things that you're going to do to get them and to, and to fix this. Don't go to bed stressing about how bad you have it. Go to bed sprinting. Sprinting after God. If you want to sleep when, when your world is crashing in around you, run to God as you lay down in bed at night. 
When trouble comes, it's, it's very tempting to embitter your heart towards God. We, we want to meet God, but we want to meet Him in the courtroom. We, we, want, we want to meet Him in the courtroom of our emotions and our estimation of what we think He should or shouldn't be doing and to judge Him as unwise or as unloving or as un, unfaithful or as un-everything that we expect Him to be. We want to keep Him sort of safely at arm's length across the aisle rather than run into His loving arms with our hurts and our fears. But look what David does. His, his heart immediately turns and runs to God. It's, and it's not because he can't help himself but run to God because he has all these warm fuzzies for the Lord. And everything's, just, everything's just so great. And he's had this amazing quiet time. That's not it. His running isn't rooted in his subjective experience of how he feels in the moment. His running is rooted in objective truth about who God is. So look, look at what he roots his plea to God in. It's, it's God's character. It's God's past kindnesses. It's God's grace. And so look at that. He's, he, God's character. Oh, God of my righteousness. I mean, he doesn't start with his own personal experience, which is probably what we do and what we often do. He starts with who God is. Again, I'm not laying out a formula. I'm not, that's not the point of this. So this is how you pray in times of trouble. That's not it. But... But just look what he's confessing. God is David's righteousness. David doesn't have to defend himself. God is his righteousness. God is the one who does right. God is the one that, Dave, that will show uh, him to be right in, in, in any way that needs to happen. So he roots it in God's character. Also, he roots his prayer in, in God's tendencies. God's, God's tendencies. This is how you tend to act, God. You have given me relief when I was in distress. The word distress is a, it's a very graphic word. And so it's, it's, the idea, it's literally, it's a tight spot. It's a tight spot. It's being squeezed. It's suffocating. As someone who's claustrophobic, I, I get this word. And I was visiting Miss Bernice at the hospital a couple Sundays ago. And uh, I, got, I got on the elevator. It's like, my, I hate elevators. I always take stairs if I can. I, I, I got issues. And, and so... I go up and I push the button and I'm, you know, eighth floor or something and the door will not open. And I, this is like my worst nightmare right here. I'm living it. And I text Brooke. I said, I'm stuck in the elevator. And it's like 30 seconds. It probably was like 10 seconds, but it seemed like two hours. And finally, the elevator went back to the first floor without the doors ever opening. Someone, someone called for it. I got off as quick as I could. I said, don't go up. Don't do it. <laughs> anyway, that's I, but I, I but this word, it's, it's distress, it's, it's, it's being squeezed and your chest is, is being pressed down. That's the, that's the image, grasping for air. Isn't that how it feels many times in trials? And when you're really, when the troubles have really just come into your life, it just feels, you're like you're just, you're just being smothered and suffocated by them. You just can't breathe. But then what does he say? You have, you have given me relief when I was in distress, and when I was in that suffocated place, he says, you've given me relief. You know what the word relief is? Wideness. You've given me wideness. You've given me breathing room. You've given me space. And you, 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 open, you open the doors, and there's a lobby. Big high ceilings and windows. Thank you, Lord. This is what David's saying. You, you've answered me in the past. You've delivered me in the past. And so I'm calling upon you to answer me now. He's rooting his praying in God's tendencies. This is how you act, God, consistently. 
And he roots it finally in God's grace. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. It's not, I deserve this. He's, he's pleading for grace. And that implies that it is, he has a total lack of resources. When he's saying be gracious, he's saying, I don't have it. I don't have what I need in myself. And brothers and sisters, we don't have what we need in ourselves to walk through trials. And so we plead for God's grace and, on, on, and root our praying in God's grace. David's desperate. He's utterly helpless if the Lord doesn't come through on his behalf. And so, this is, this is, he's, we wear our running clothes to bed if we, we're struggling to sleep because of worry, because of the circumstances we walk through. Say, God, I've got to sprint to you. And, and, and praying like this. What, because what is prayer? Prayer is inherently Godward. I mean, it's, you can't, you can, you struggle. I know there's ways to make it man-centered, but it is, it is, it is, it, it, the rut of prayer is, is distinctly God, Godward looking. It, it's, it's pointing us to Him. It's, and, and, and you squeeze prayer and it just oozes God out. So, so when we're not praying in times of trouble, it's like a blinking light, blinking light on our dashboard saying something's, something's off. You, you need God. You need God. Go to Him. You know, lots of talking to other people when we're in troubles, but not talking to God. That, that's a warning. Lots of worrying, but not casting our cares upon the Lord. And God says, when, when, or the psalmist, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. It's not saying, I, I'm not going to be afraid. No, so when I am, and I will be. I'm going to trust you. And so we, we need this Godwardness, and, and the way it's often ex- so often expressed is in prayer. And, and all right, so we see it again in verse two. Let's let's keep moving. As David's running to God in in this prayer, in this song, his heart begins to think of his fellow Israelites who are running from God. Again, not that we can ultimately get out, get away from him, but. That's, that's the way it seems. And so they probably wouldn't admit it, but that's what's happening. So he says, oh, oh men, there in verse 2. That's a technical term. That's, that's the leading men in Israel. These are, these are, this is the nobility. Those, the, these are the ones who've turned their hearts towards Absalom, who've betrayed David. And so David's warning these men in verse 2, these men who've taken a posture against God. That's the posture of their art, of their actions. Because to follow Absalom was to turn your back on God. It was to turn your back on the throne of David, and therefore the honor of God that stood behind that throne. So you're turning your back on God. You couldn't say, my heart's with Absalom and my heart's with God at the same time. Those are, that was a contradiction of terms, because David was God's anointed. And so he says, verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? What a sad, sad thing. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So, so these slanderers, these enemies of David, they're, they're trying to rewrite history. Tried to, tried to turn David's honor, which is backed by God, into shame. And, they, and they've loved, they've loved, look at the text, they've loved vanity. And they've spoken these vain words and they've pursued lies. They're completely out of touch with reality. That's what that's saying. So David reminds them, and he's reminding himself also, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now the godly, is, it's also a technical term. It's not, it's not oh, I'm so godly, so the Lord has set me apart. 
No, it's, it's, it's the covenant one. It refers to David as that anointed king. The Lord has set him apart. He's also, he, has, he also has this special privilege of access to the Lord. The, the Lord hears when I call to Him. So David is this covenant one in a special, special sense as God's anointed king over this divine monarchy. We're not covenant kings like David. But listen, brothers and sisters, we are not second-class citizens either. Just listen to the words. Let me jump forward into the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1. Just listen to these words and the Lord speak these over you. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He's made known to us the mystery of His will. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And listen, when you, when you lay in your bed at night tossing and turning, watching those hours roll by, you have the voices of enemies, people that are slandering you and, and, and have hurt you. You, you have an over, overly sensitive conscience perhaps that is accusing you. You have the devil who's telling you of your guilt within One of your greatest weapons, one of your greatest sleep aids is to remember and to hold on to what God has spoken about you. It's not so helpful to to rehash those conversations that were so painful and to play them over and over again in your mind, which I know we're tempted to do. But it is super helpful to remember who we are and who God is and what He has said and what He has done. How He has acted toward us in Christ. Because in times of trouble and suffering, we, we often forget who we are in Christ. We have, we have insomnia because we have amnesia. We don't remember our special status as God's beloved children because of Christ. And so, how can you sleep peacefully when you're living a nightmare? First, go to church. Second, run to God. And third, I'm borrowing the words of Paul Tripp, resist identity amnesia. Resist identity amnesia. I mean, if you are a Christian, if your trust is in Jesus and Him alone, then you are not some normal, everyday Bob or Sally. Just just trying to eke out an existence uh, and survive the fate of this fallen world. Just trying to make it through and hold on to the end. That's not who you are. You are a child of the Most High God. Your your life is held in the hand of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are are one of the set-apart ones. To use David's word, you you, you didn't set yourself apart, but you have been set apart by sovereign grace. Because because you're God's set-apart one, you will will never... God, God will never turn a deaf ear to you. He will never turn a deaf ear to your plea for help. He will not. And so, 
We, again, if we're, if we're trouble, struggling to sleep, if we're trouble, struggling to get through a trial, one of the things we've got to do is we've got to remember who we are in Christ. Fight that identity amnesia. All right, verse 4. So David, I know, I know it's kind of hard to follow the movement in the psalm, and, and, and there's different ideas, but this is what I think is happening. David seems to be turning and speaking to another group of people in verse 4. He's, he's cried to God, he spoke to those who are conspiring against him. Now he turns to a different group. It's probably his supporters who are ticked over what's happening, over the whole, all of the wrong of this whole situation. So verse 4, he says to them, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. And then say law. Just let that sink in. I mean, these were probably pro-king, pro-David supporters, this little loyal band of followers, but they're just fuming over what's going on. I mean, we, we see a similar idea in Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 1. Uh, this is also a psalm of David. David says there, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Then in verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. You know, repeat it. Fret not yourself. I know it's not very modern English words, but you get that. Don't stew over this. David's saying, watch yourself, examine your hearts. Yes, this is bad, what they're doing is wrong, it's unjust, it's not fair, uh, and, and it's against God, but watch your heart lest you fall into sin as you rage over their sin. It's so easy in times of suffering to, to not pay attention to what's going on in our hearts in the middle of a trial. And God is gracious to... This is one of the gracious things he does in times of difficulty, in times of trial, is he, he exposes areas in our life that don't please him. We're not trusting him. And so, don't you know, as David, David's talking to them, as his supporters, what I think, he's also talking to himself. There's a lot of self-talk going on here. I mean, because where do our hearts so often go in times of trial? Anger. Anger. They do. There's a kind of anger that's not sin. There is such a thing as a righteous anger, a holy anger. Most of us know much more about sinful anger, don't we? That's the kind we're much more familiar with. Godly anger, that righteous anger, I'm borrowing this definition, but it's a, it's a negative reaction against actual biblically defined sin. And so it's not just when we're offended or we're hurt or we don't like the way something went, but it's a, it's a reaction, a negative, whole-bodied, whole-person reaction to actual biblically defined sin. So godly anger, it focuses on God and His concerns primarily, not me and my concerns. Godly anger, it's slowly provoked. It's not explosive and volatile. It's, it, godly anger expresses itself in godly ways. It's accompanied by other godly qualities. It's accompanied by the graces and fruit of the Spirit of, of of kindness and patience and joy and love. You can, you can have godly anger and those things, if, if it is godly anger, those things are going to be paired with it. So, so, how, so what, do we, what do we ask ourselves? So he said, be angry but don't sin. I mean, just some questions to ask yourself if this is the struggle of your life. Is this is, if you're tossings at night and there you see that anger, it's burning in you over some slight, some wrongdoing, some, some trouble in your life. Just saying, am I angry about the right things? 
Am I, am I angry about the right thing? Secondly, am I expressing my anger in the right way? Screaming, slamming doors, you know, threatening, revenge posts on social media. I mean, this is not how godly anger is ever expressed. Third, how, how, long does my anger, how long does my anger last? Is it days? Is it weeks? Is it months? Years? I mean, do you have this feud going on with a neighbor or family member that's been going on for a decade? Am I overreacting? Is my, is my response disproportionate to the situation? I mean, it's like road rage. I mean, somebody gets in your lane or cuts you off and you just, you come unhinged. People, we see this on the news. And it's, we over, it's not proportionate to what's happened. Some of you would argue with that. Argue that point with me, but trust me. We ask, what's, what's motivating my anger? What, what is it that I want? James 4.1, what is the source of quarrels and fights among you? Why, why do I get so angry? Why do I, why do I have such friction with these people? Why, can't, why, why is this just robbing my joy? And, and, and why am I so worked up? Is it not your wants, your passions, your desires that war within you? You want and you do not get. So we're saying, what is it that I am holding so tightly to that I just refuse to have it taken from me? Another question, am I always primed and ready for anger? Is that, is that my default mode? I'm just, just ready to, got a short fuse, we might say. What if, another question, what effect is my anger having on other people around me? I mean, family, kids. Parents, children, church. So, so be angry and do not sin. That's what he's saying. And how in the world do you do that? Well, there's more to this, but in the context of Psalm 4, it's a, a big part of his verse 4, be silent. Just be silent. Keep, keep your mouth closed. You know how hard it is to be silent in times of trouble. It is for me. I mean, I, we, in, inside of us, there's this gnawing complaint that we've just got to vocalize. We've got to let somebody know. There's this, there's this I, I don't like it monster inside each one of us. And, and uh, in, in our hearts, I was sitting with Kara the other day and I was reminding her of this was her very first sentence. Uh, she probably loves me when I'm telling this, but I do not like it. That was her very first sentence that she ever spoke. And I just got a kick out of that for some reason. It wasn't even, it was, I do not like it. And, uh, so it's, but it's very hard when you're in a place in your life that you don't like. You don't like what's been put on your plate. You don't, you don't like uh, what, you've, what you have to deal with every day. You don't, it's very hard for the I do not like it monster not to form the words that you speak. It's complaining can come out. You know what the Bible teaches, don't you? It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so my anger, my dissatisfaction with my lot in life, it spills over into all kinds of unhelpful and ungodly words. And so that's, that's the fourth thing. How, what, how do we sleep when life's falling apart? You keep your mouth away from open flames. Keep your mouth away from open flames. The tongue is a fire. We've got to starve it of fuel. And so what comes, comes out of our mouth, it's highly flammable because it's fueled by your heart and we've got we've to work to by God's grace, to neutralize that anger before it comes out in our words. What a hard thing to do, isn't it, brothers and sisters? It's hard to sleep when you're angry, isn't it? And it's hard to deal with your anger when you, when you can't control the tongue, and you don't. 
So what's the answer? What's the, what's the answer to anger, to rage, to bitterness? What do we do? It's hard. We can say it's hard. What do we do? Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Again, you've got to take all that's been said in Ephesians 1 to 3, and we can't dwell there. But let all bitterness, wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So what is Paul saying? Just, just quit. Stop. Stop being angry. Stop it. He goes on. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, what? As God in Christ forgave you. And that's connecting the dots between Ephesians 1 to 3. So when you're sinfully angry, you're, what are you, you're focused on the wrong offense, you're focused on the hurt that's been done to you, what they said, what they've done, how they've let you down, and, and, and how life has let you down, and all of this, these troubles pressing on your life, you're, you're, you're zeroed in on that, and what we need to remember in those moments is not, our, is not our, uh, the offense against us, it's, it's my offense against God. And it puts that other, those other offenses in perspective. And, and that He forgave me in Christ. So gracious is God. Verse 5. I've got to move with haste here. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So David tells them what not to do in verse 4. And then verse 5, I think he's speaking to the same people. And he lays down these right activities that they're to give themselves to. He says, offer right sacrifices. Or offer sacrifices of righteousness, we might say. And just sacrifice, the language of worship. is worship God rightly. And, and put your trust in the Lord. David's saying, take your eyes, your heart off of their offense against you and put them on God and His worship and His sovereign rule over your life. Trust Him. Worship God. Trust the Lord who sits on His throne. That's what he's saying. And so, fifth thing. What do we do when we're living a nightmare, having trouble sleeping? Steer your heart to God's throne. Take forcibly your heart by the wheel. Turn it to God. Direct it to Him and His worship and say, Trust the Lord. Why are you in despair, my soul? Hope in God. Steering my heart to your throne. Worship is, and, and this is a beautiful, lovely thing. Brothers and sisters, if you've been a believer long enough, you can testify that, that, that worshiping God is never sweeter. I, I realize our temptation after we kind of struggle with the, 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 the emotions and the challenges and the temptations that come, but it can be never sweeter and more heartfelt and honest and true than in times of suffering. Can it? Because you're not worshiping God because everything's going great. Because it's not. Everything's falling apart. It seems like it. We're worshiping God just because He's God. We're confessing things that are true. No matter how the gap in our experience seems to be at the moment. Verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So, Verse 6, what seems to be happening is, is David in this, in this poetic form, poetic way, summarizing what's going on in the cave. The murmurings that are happening in the cave. And so his band of loyal supporters who've followed him into that cave, they keep complaining, you know, what's going to happen now? How is this going to turn out for good? Who will show us some good? And, and that when he says who, there are those who say that, that uh, the grammar in Hebrew is very explicit here. It's who, who keep on saying. This is a continual, continual complaint in that cave. They keep on saying, keep on saying, who's going to show us some good? So they're in the pit of despair, despondency. They can't break free from this. They're just stuck in, the, in this rut. 
And so isn't this, again, how often we, we react in times of trouble? We, trouble upon trouble comes. It feels like we're just being targeted for pain. Like we've, we've ingested some uh, trouble virus and we just, we're just infected throughout and we cannot, cannot find anything but trouble, anything but trials, anything but difficulties. It seems like life's getting worse and worse. No light, no hope. It can feel like that at times. And, but it, I think it's very interesting what David does next. He doesn't answer those questions. Uh, they're fearful, anxious questions. He doesn't answer them with little pithy platitudes. It's not, he's not quoting refri- re- religious refrigerator magnets or Christian bumper stickers here. What does he do? He prays. He prays. And he's borrowing some wording. We'll talk about that. He basically says, Lord... What these people who are with me need is not just a set of trite answers. What they need is a knowledge of your presence with us in this cave. Lord, you, would you be so loving and so kind as to shine your face upon us? We need you. So David is lifting this line right out of their worship services. So he's, he, he's paraphrasing part of a benediction that priests pronounce... Uh, over Israel as part of the regular tabernacle worship. This is in Numbers 6, 24 to 26. So he takes that priestly benediction and he turns it into prayer. Let, let your face shine upon us, O Lord. And so sometimes what you need, again, going back to a previous point, go to church, sometimes what you need in your suffering is what's happening right here in the worship service. Believe this stuff. Don't treat the songs and the scripture readings and the encouragements and exhortations and the prayers and the benedictions lightly. Take them to heart. Because remember, remember how trouble works. It, it, it's, it's right in your faces. You feel like you're suffering. It's, it's pressed in. You're, you're in distress. And, and so it's all we can see and it can obstruct our view of God. You know, when, when, when things are like that, it's like all you can see is the trouble. It's hard to see past that. Everything else is faded and, and distorted, but all you can see with clarity is the trouble you're in right now. The cloud, and, it, and it clouds our vision of the Lord and who is everywhere present with us. So all we, can, all we can see is a trial. All we can see is our circumstance. All we can see is the what-ifs and what-might-bes and how hard it is. But the one thing we need to see, we don't see, and that's the Lord who is with us. So... David's basically saying, Father, I know, I know you're in this cave. Show us your presence because we desperately need to see you right now. And so that's the sixth. Uh, one more after this. Sixth, pursue comfort in God's presence. Pursue comfort in God's presence. Lasting, abiding, sleep-producing peace is not found in being able to answer all the whys and how longs. I know those are natural questions and there's nothing wrong with saying those to the Lord. Lasting, abiding, sleep-producing peace is found in the presence of a person, of the Lord. Because this side of eternity, we won't understand all of the whys and how longs. There won't often be clear explanations to us. But we will always have the presence of the Lord who promises He will never, ever leave us nor forsake us. And so if God's presence was a comfort to David in that cave, how much more should we who have the Spirit of God living inside of us be comforted by His presence in our sufferings? The last two verses. Verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than, than they have in, when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. 
And so David, when, he, when faced with the unthinkable, he, he does the unthinkable. He lays down and he goes to sleep. And he sleeps with this rather joyful rest. And you say, how, how, how is that possible? How can he have joy in this moment? You understand what's going on? There's this tremendous grief and, 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 and there would be something wrong with David if he wasn't grieving in this moment. This was his boy. This was his calling as his father, as a father. This was unbelievably painful. But, but intersecting with that profound and real and deep grief is this, is he's able to experience this joy. And you, I know many of you, so many of you can testify to this. In the midst of unthinkable loss, God gives joy. He gives joy as, as he's running to God, worshiping God in the midst of his anguish. And, 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 and this trouble then is used by God to teach him that, what, that God and God alone makes him dwell in safety. That's what he says. God, you alone make me dwell in safety. Uh, and what he's saying is, I'm as safe in this cave as I was in the palace. Praise you. And even in the midst of the trouble, I am safe. David's heart is filled with this profound joy and peace and it puts him to sleep. So last, how can we sleep peacefully when we're living a nightmare? Keep yourself warm under the covers of God's peace and joy. Keep yourself warm under the covers of God's peace and joy. There's nothing better than that heavy down comforter on a cold, blistery day. I know it's hard to imagine that right now in, in August. But, um, uh, but, but God's joy, God's peace, it's, it's, it's like that to us on those cold, bitter blustery days of soul anguish his joy and peace they comfort us so just note a few things one that joy about this joy it's from god he says you have put it it's internal it's in my heart it's abundant is more than they have and their grain and wine abound and it's independent of circumstances it, this joy it's it's not um joy and gladness and everything's Everything's going well. It's, it's in spite of those things. It's not because I'm on an exotic vacation or have this incredible retirement account that's growing. It's in the midst of trouble that joy can't be snuffed out. And there's a deep, weighty peace. Peace that's secure because the Lord protects it. Peace that's tangible because He can lay His head on His pillow and sleep. Well, how has Psalm 4 met you this morning? How has it greeted you today? Are you a little bit cynical about all of this? We read this and think, that's, that's pie in the sky. Are you thinking, this, this isn't realistic. This isn't really possible. There's no way that I could ever respond to trouble like this. This is actually kind of discouraging. Well, I can testify. There are brothers and sisters in here. I've seen you respond. And not, none of us respond perfectly. We are all tempted and we all struggle but i've seen god's grace and the work of his spirit in your lives but maybe maybe you're struggling with this but listen this man is like us he's a sinner and he he's a sinner capable of serious sin adultery murder deceit hypocrisy this is david it's not david whoa david this is david yes a man after god's own heart but a but a sinner psalm 4 is not a tribute to an unrealistically good man Psalm 4 is a testament to what the grace of God can do in the heart of everyone who seeks Him. It's not just David's psalm. This is your psalm. The words that you can, you can own because the same God of grace who met David in his time of trouble is 
gracious, will graciously meet you in your times of trouble. But there's another thing you can't miss here, and I don't want you to miss. If you've not heard anything else, listen to this. I hope you've heard everything else, but Rachel, you get a free pass. Um, wake her up and tell her that. No. Uh, <laughs> Psalm 4, it's like a finger that's pointing to a greater king. You notice that? I hope you can see the connection without me pointing out. This king also left his throne. This king also faced the unthinkable. This king didn't just face the prospect of death. This king died. This king also ended up in a cave, and the cave was a tomb. This king conquered that tomb, defeating sin and death. And we know this king is Jesus. And this is pointing us to him. that He faced death for you. He conquered death for you so that you could have eternal life. Let me just ask you if, you, if you don't know that eternal life, if you're not sure of what it means to be a Christian, or if you know you're not a Christian, have you, have you put your trust in Jesus? If not, you can do so today. It's turning to him and saying, Jesus, I trust you and what you have done and by your death and rising again from the dead, your perfect life. I can't do it. I'm a sinner. I don't have, there's no hope for me apart from you. And, and we trust in him. And if you haven't done that, do that today. But listen, he also did this. He also came, died, suffered, rose, so that you would have the grace you need in your moment of suffering and anguish and trial. In Romans 8, what I mentioned earlier in prayer, we don't have time to go there, but it, it, it speaks to that connection for the believer. Jesus did that so we could endure this creation that's growing. So maybe you've trusted in Christ to be saved, but you're here and you're struggling with a functional trust in Jesus. And, and, and so, you, so maybe you're having trouble sleeping, and it's not physiological. It's not just work uh, schedule. It's not age. Trust Him. Trust Him. Depend upon Him. He, he was willing to face all of that uh, because He loves you, and He cares for you. And, and, and brothers and sisters, this is the place that we come and we, we invite others in to help us. So talk with one another in the, in the church and invite others in to, 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 to share this, the burden that you're walking through together. And we do that so in our troubles we can say, I have more joy than when their new grain and their wine abound. In peace I will lay down and sleep for you alone, you alone. Make me dwell in safety.